the web broadcast of New Life Foursquare Church in Milledgeville, Georgia. Thanks for joining us today. We encourage you to download the sermon notes from our website and follow along as Dr. Terry Stair brings you the uncompromising Word of God. Here's Dr. Terry Stair with today's message. Last week I asked you what scripture you would go to about marriage. And I believe we got a few good ones, uh, if my memory is correct. What, if any, scripture would come to your mind today if you were asked about relationships? Does anybody have a scripture that would come to your mind? Thank you. At least we're honest anyway, huh? May I encourage you that either you would take one today from the paper that we've given you and begin to study it and maybe commit it to memory or at least commit the reference to memory. Or maybe find one that God would lead you to begin to memorize and to begin to pattern your life after. Somebody asked me the other day on the internet, why, why does that have any meaning to you? And I said, well, because I pattern my life after that. I'm trying to reach a certain level of growth in the Lord. And that's one of the things that helps me to do that. You know, we all need tools. Did you know that? We need tools. Yesterday, I helped a man. In fact, I wish I had had this card yesterday. I helped a man with his windshield wipers. You ever been at at one of these auto parts places? How many's waiting in line at an auto parts place? You ever waited in line? Well, I was waiting in line. Because my... um, I think my alternator is gone, so I was having it checked. And uh, while I was waiting in line, this man was also waiting in line to get his windshield wipers fixed. And the man told him, said, you know, I've got to take care of all these customers before I can even help you. So you just have to wait. And he was nice, but, you know, that's, that's really tough. You know, that, that gentleman, uh, it wouldn't take but maybe two or three minutes to get those windshield wipers fixed. Well... I went outside and, and, and I helped him get his old ones off, came in, got the new ones, went out and helped him put the new ones on. Then the, he thanked me, he said, thank you. Then the manager said, you know, thank you for helping one of my customers. And I thought to myself, I didn't even realize that's what I was doing. I was just doing what I'm trying to pattern my life after. You understand? When you begin to live a certain kind of life, it just starts coming natural to you. You're not going, well, I don't work here. (laughs) You know? You just have to wait like all... Or get in, get behind me. I'm first. You understand what I'm saying? We, We get into the rut of the world instead of into the path of God. And we need to work hard at that. I'm sure that in your lifetime, maybe even more so when you were little... Somebody gave you a piece of candy. And your parents told you to say thank you. They taught you to say thank you. Uh, it's amazing that when I started working at Burger King, the book that they gave me to read was called Please and Thank You. I looked at it and I said, what does this have to do with, with Burger King? <clears throat> the first paragraph said that as you work here, Various things will happen to you. One of them will be that people will come into this restaurant 
and they will be impacted by what they see going on behind, behind the counter. And so if you ask somebody, give me some fries, or hand me a burger, the way you do that is going to impact the rest of their meal. So if they see nice, polite people back here behind this counter, people that are working in courtesy, people that are dealing with one another with kindness, and you say, hamburger please, thank you, can I get a fry please, thank you, that it brings a spirit of joy and happiness because they see people getting along rather than, hey, hand me a hamburger or whatever. And I know y'all have been to restaurants just like I have and you've seen things that just messed up your meal. Just learning to say please and thank you. Saying sorry. That's probably one of the ones that our parents have a hard time teaching us is to say we're sorry. Because you see, parents can't teach what they can't do. <laughs> and life is caught better than taught anyway. So, you know, they can tell you one thing, but if they never do it, you're not going to catch it. You catch things by just being around people. And so they can be saying one thing and doing another, and that's what you'll catch. What they did, not what they said. If you have not been taught these various principles, I hope that you will begin to pay attention to them, maybe even to learn them from somebody else if your parents aren't teaching you. And if you're an adult, maybe you need to learn them from other adults. But however you learn them, that I pray that you'll start to pay attention to them because there's consequences for not doing these things. And that's the thing we want to avoid. Everyone in here can remember that we would have done anything to avoid a spanking. If our daddy was taking us down the hall, we would have said, Daddy, what can I do? What can I do? Is there something I can do? Can I say something? Can I, can I, is, how, how can I make it up to you? Because you know, we knew it was coming. <laughs> we would have done anything to avoid the consequences. Let me tell you something. If we will do these things, we can avoid certain consequences in life. We need to be responsible. The irresponsibility of our lives brings a mark on Christianity that is real hard to remove. It's like a black blotch on a white piece of cloth. I'm reminded of the silly story of the man who was stranded on a desert island and somehow a boat came to save him. And as the people got off the boat to save him, they noticed this man standing there and behind him there were three huts. And they asked him, they said, how come you're one man on a deserted island and have three huts? He said, well, that's the hut I live in. That's the, ch- the hut I go to church in. He said, well, what's the other hut? He said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> he had moved out of church and there wasn't even anybody else there. <laughs> we don't realize that our actions in life have consequences. And sometimes those consequences go on and on for years. And because we're irresponsible, and you all know what irresponsible people are. I mean, maybe you haven't connected the words, but let me tell you, you know what it is, even though you may not know what the words are. You know what irresponsible is. 
There are certain responsibilities in this world that we cannot let undone. They're non-negotiable. They're not things we can bail out of. I know I haven't married all of y'all, but those of you that I have married, I take it very serious to me. I don't want anybody bailing out. Because you see, bailing out of marriage is a smirch against me. It says, maybe I shouldn't have married you. Maybe I didn't do my job right. I take it serious. I take it personal. You can't bail out of certain things. They're non-negotiable. They're not things we can even think about. You cannot be impulsive about these things. Some of these things, you're at the point of no return. You can't go back. You know, we can say, well, I wish I'd have done that. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. You're, you're at the place where there's not any negotiating no more. The negotiations is over. But one of the things that will help to make sure that we follow through. Can you say that with me? Follow through? We've got to follow through. And the way we follow through is becoming more responsible. Not less. More. The thing that encouraged me this morning about the young people, of course I included all of them, but, you know, and I'm not leaving anybody out by pointing uh, to Jonathan and Joshua. By no means, that's what I'm doing. <clears throat> but do you know how long, do you know how long I've waited to see them begin to mature? Do you know how long I've waited for that? How long have you been coming to church here, brother? Maybe seven years? Six or seven years? I, I've got it on my computer. About eight. We've waited eight years then, John, haven't we? Didn't that bless your heart this morning? When I see him up here playing the piano, it blesses my heart. Why? Because I'm seeing him begin to accept responsibility. I'm seeing Jonathan begin to accept responsibility. Why is that a big deal? Because it's a definition of what a man is. Men accept responsibility. Do you know that's one, of, that's one of the biggest battles any man's going to have for the rest of his life? It's to accept the responsibility. And we all know when a man lets his responsibility down. We know it. We know it. Nobody has to tell us. And of course, if you try to tell him, he's going to get mad at you. <laughs> but we all know it. Every one of us have them. We all have responsibilities. Jesus was the example for us. Our world is cursed. It's fragmented. It's fractured. And the only way it's ever going to be put back together is when Christ is brought into the mix. When Christ is the, the, the force that gels everything together. When He begins to restore things. When He begins to build... Uh, and, and bring back relationships the way they're supposed to be. When we begin to understand, step up to the plate, and accept our responsibilities, that's when the blessings come. Who did God trust to fix all these problems? Hmm? Who has He trusted? Say me. Not me, say me. 
That's right. See, if you don't do your job, there ain't nobody else to do it. Roscoe Harrison, when he passed away, he was one of the members of the church when I came here. When Roscoe passed away, nobody took his place. Nobody took his place. You have a job to do and nobody else can do it. And if you do not do it, it will not get done. Somebody else might make up the difference or somebody else might, might do something. But it never will be the way you would have done it. And it will never bring the blessing that you could have brought. So it's up to you. The disasters that people have in our, or that, that happen in people's lives, the disasters we see in the world, all of them can be traced to somebody not doing what they were supposed to do. Everything that's going on in this world, can be, you can go back and try to figure it out. You may not figure all of them out, but, but every one of them has a reason and a cause. The Bible says that things do not come without a cause. There's a cause and an effect. When we see the disasters that are out here in our lives, in our world, when we see these curses, it's because somebody did not do something they were supposed to do. And that's the reason it's happened. We already see our world fragmenting uh, religious-wise between the Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians. Without slamming anybody or criticizing anybody, we, we, should, we should know that the only person who's got the answer is the Christians. We, we should know that. Islam has no answers. And Judaism is dead. It died when Jesus said... I leave, leave you this house desolate. If you went to Jerusalem, you wouldn't find the temple. Do you really believe that the God of the universe cannot protect His temple? The Romans destroyed it in 70 A.D. because Jesus said, Goodbye. I give up. I'm through with this thing. It's over with for them. The only hope for a Jew is to come to know Jesus. <laughs> That's the only hope. The only hope for the world is to come to know Jesus. We have the answer. We're doing a real lousy job, though, at getting it out to people, at bringing it to them, at sharing it with them. We're the only ones that have the bridge of hope. In your first there, your first bullet, the one non-negotiable, is one thing you cannot bail out is your responsibility before God. Whether you know it or not, whether you've accepted it or not, whether you've even thought about it or not, you're going to stand in front of Him someday. And it's not going to be a question of whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's not going to be the, the uh, questions He's going to ask. He's just going to say, what did you, what, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I really, ha- I tried to work with you. I tried to have it fixed out. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you forgive? Why didn't you love more? Why didn't you give more? Why didn't you sacrifice? Why? Why didn't you? What was wrong with you? There are people out here in our world right now that are arguing about whether he even exists. The one thing that's sure is that they're going to find out. They're going to find out whether he exists or not. They may not like what they find out. It 
It's a foolish conclusion to say that God doesn't exist. But our whole world believes that to a degree. And let me tell you something. Even some of us have started to doubt whether he, whether he exists. Christian people who have seen his hand have even started to say, hmm, I wonder if that was just coincidence. I wonder if that was just something, you know, maybe that just happened, you know. We don't see and we don't take the glory of God the way we should. The scripture, Romans 3, 4 says, Though everyone else in the world is a liar, God is true. And the scripture says, He will be proved right in what He says and He will win His case in court. He's going to ask people what they did with His Son. We say we're Christians, yet we do not act like Christians. Christians are people that are supposed to forgive, supposed to love, supposed to go the second mile. We cannot forgive. We don't love anybody. And we don't want to go anywhere. (laughs) We need to really ask ourselves, am I truly a Christian? Or do I just act like one for an hour on Sunday? The other day, I had, uh, this is in the thing, so I'm going to tell you what I've already written. But the other day, I was very busy. It was a busy day. And uh, somebody knocked on my door. And uh, I went to the door and he said, uh, do you have any bread? And I said, yeah, but we gave it away on Thursday. He said, well, I thought I came by on Thursday, but, you know, they, they were closed. And I said, well, you must have came after they closed. And he said, yeah, oh, he probably did. Okay, thank you. So he went away. And I'm going, don't this man know we have hours? <laughs> and then the Lord came to my heart. And he began speaking to me. And he said, don't you remember the story about the man knocking on the door for bread? And his, his neighbor said, I'm asleep. Come back tomorrow. And the man kept knocking. Yeah, but I'm asleep. I'll take care of you tomorrow. So I got in my car and I drove, because this man just lives down the road. So I drove down to his house. I took in some bread. And I said, look, I'm sorry that you missed us the other day. And I'm sorry that, uh, you know, I didn't get you some bread right away when you were up at the house. I said, but I brought it down to you because I want you to have some bread. And I've given you enough that, you know, you can even share some with your neighbors if you want to. And he said, thank you. He said, I don't, I don't have any food in the house at all. He said, I don't have anything. He said, I was helping somebody. Letting them live here. And all they were going to do to live here was they were going to share their food with me. He said, but they ate up all the food and now they moved out. And I don't have anything. So I came back down here and I got together a whole bunch of food. Took the food back to him. Even though I really wanted to be down there with my grandchildren. This man had a need. He was hungry. 
Isn't that a shame that a person could be hungry right in your own block? Huh? I wonder how many times that really happens. That somebody has nothing, nothing to eat. His house was burning hot because he don't have any money to pay for air conditioner. I was grateful that God had given me an air conditioner. But I also could have compassion on somebody that didn't have one. A few minutes later, I, after I said goodbye to him, given him his food, come back, did some other things, I had to go somewhere. And as I was driving down the road, <clears throat> there he was mowing the grass around the side. I had asked him to mow that grass months ago. Because I saw him mowing you know, some things in the neighborhood, probably to get a little bit of money. And I just asked him, I said, you know, if you ever get around to it, and you mow that grass, I'll give you some money for it. He said, oh, don't worry. If it's for the church, I'll do it for nothing. Well, he never did it. He was irresponsible. But when I gave him the food, I wonder if maybe the Holy Spirit might have spoke to his heart and said, you know, you promised him you're going to mow that sign. However God works, the only thing that we need to be thankful for is that he does. And I was a little ashamed that I didn't jump up and respond to him right away. I should have. But you see, <clears throat> the things of God, if we don't keep our eyes open, they just become just tradition. They just become things we do day in and day out. And they don't mean anything anymore. When in reality, the reality, they're real life. It's people's lives that are happening On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't want you to think about it. I just want you to do it, okay? On the count of three, point north. One, two, three. See, some of you are still thinking. And some of you are pointing the wrong way. Let me tell you something. North is always north, no matter what you do. It's always north. Even if you don't know where it is. And that's the way God is. God is always God, even if you're not involved. Even if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, he's, he's going to be God. He's going to get His things done. Now, the second thing you can't bail out on is the health of your relationships. Let me tell you something. It is a shame, but it's the truth. Christians are the worst people demographically for getting along with one another. We should actually get along with each other better. But we don't. We have all the tools and all the keys and we just, we just don't do it. Saying you're sorry. Asking for forgiveness. Going out of your way. Sacrifice. We know all these things. And yet we don't do them. It's your responsibility to make sure that your relationships with people and loved ones is fixed. It's not theirs. It's yours. God has wired you for a relationship. And if you do not have a relationship, well, uh, it doesn't mean you're not wired right. It just means you're not connected right. The wiring is there. You're just not connecting. No one's going to keep 
the relationships right except you. You can't be sitting there waiting and saying, well, if they would just do so and so. You'll be waiting till kingdom comes. Because they ain't going to do nothing. It's up to you. If you see how long the other person, it'll take the other person to say they're sorry, you'll give up waiting. But you know, if you be the first one to step up there and say you're sorry, it just seems to fix the whole problem. It goes away right away. People say, well, hey, if I had a billion dollars, I'd be happy. If I had all the cars in the world, I'd be happy. If I had a wonderful house, I'd be happy. If I had a swimming pool, I'd be happy. Look, if I could produce all those things for you right now, all of them, if I could give them all to you right now, but if they came with one little condition, and that is that you've got to enjoy them alone, that no one else can be involved, right away you would see the value of those things. One day a pastor went to see a billionaire. A billionaire! He went to comfort this man because his wife had just died. And as he sat there in the room with a billionaire, tears rolling down his face, he said, is there anything I could do for you? He said, Pastor, I'd give everything that I have to have my wife back. He'd give a billion dollars. Because he understood that without people in your life sharing whatever you have, it ain't worth it. Relationship is your responsibility. It's not anybody else's. Nothing can secure your relationship and make it better except you. If you'll begin to value the relationships that you have, you'll begin to understand what real value is. What is really important in life. Marielle laughed when she saw the little quote that I put on there. Uh, Here I am in my circle of toys while death is kicking down the door. You know, you've got 155 days left in this year. That's all you got. Doesn't seem like it. But 207 days. They're gone. 207 days out of your life. Bam! Just gone. You only got 155 left. What are you going to do with these 155 days? Are you going to be grumpy? Are you going to be mean? Are you going to waste five of them on not forgiving? I'm not saying I'm sorry. I'm waiting for them to see. You're going to wait five days, six days. Maybe, maybe some people will waste the whole 155. It's possible. Just waste them. What a shame. <clears throat> Did you know that when you have a healthy relationship and when you have healthy relationships in general that it actually multiplies the benefits in every area of your life? In other words, everything gets better by multiplication. 
When you're right with God, things are better. When you're right with your spouse, things are better. When you're right with your friends, things are better. When you're right with your kids, things are better. It just seems to multiply itself. You're really rich beyond your wildest dreams when you're at peace with everybody in your life. That's really what riches are. You don't have any ought with anybody. In the end, who cares what you have? Or don't? When you pass away, somebody else is going to get it anyway. They're going to get to enjoy it. Probably don't even deserve it. What are you saving for? For somebody else? Debbie and I, you know, we've saved a few dollars. <clears throat> Not very many, but just a few of them. And uh, she was talking the other day. She said, if we get some time, I want to go down to Tampa and spend a, a week or so. I said, okay. She said, and I don't care if we spend every dollar we've saved. I said, why would you want to do that? She said, because I would enjoy doing that. And if I left that money for somebody else, I wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> she said, I would rather enjoy it myself. Because after all, why did I save it? I saved it to enjoy it. You see, sometimes we save things. Do you all know of people that have hundreds and hundreds of dollars in the bank? I know of a few of them that have lots of money in the bank. And I always ask myself, what are they saving that for? People say, well, I'm saving it for a rainy day. The day might rain and you might not even be here. You know, my grandfather... It's always been something sad in my life. My grandfather worked and worked and worked. His company gave him an option at 62 to take this bail. Just leave right now. We'll give you this settlement. And he said, no, I think I'll stay a couple more years because then my Social Security will be a little bit higher. Do you know he didn't make it? He never got a dime of any of that money. He didn't get the the uh, settlement they were going to give him, and he didn't get any of the Social Security. My, my grandmother got Social Security, but he didn't get nothing. And my grandmother got to enjoy it for three months. Because she died too. Now, I'm not saying you ought to go out here and be reckless and do something silly. I'm not meaning that. I'm just meaning you cannot be sure of what's going to happen down the road. You can't be sure. You have no guarantees. So you need to live in peace and in good relationship with everybody now. And not hope, oh, well, I'll work it out later. It may not happen later. You may not even have that time. Every one of us should be pained over the fact that we are at, at, at odds with somebody. It should cause us pain in our hearts. So much so that we'll actually go and fix it. We're not going to rest until we can make it right rather than just letting it go. The Bible says in Romans 12:18, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If they shut the door, you keep it open. If they say, I don't want to talk to you, you, you make sure that they know your number. If they say, don't call me, 
you make sure that you call them every day. Because <laughs> you want, to, want them to know that I'm still here for you, if there's anything I can do. Did you know that if you have pain, if you're sad, if you're disappointed, it's God reminding you you need to fix something. He wants you to fix it. Fix it. And this is the last one is probably the hardest one, and that's the condition of the heart. That's why we don't do these things. Because our hearts aren't right. Proverbs says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. You can't do these things without asking God for help. I know that's the truth. I used to be very, very upset. Very upset when my kids would do things. And it's unfortunate, but I am such a hard-headed person, it took all the way down to Jeremy before I started listening. I wish I had listened with Lee. But it took all the way to Jeremy. Do you know the story about Jeremy and me is not about Jeremy? It's about me. God taught me the story of the prodigal son. And as I began to learn it and study it, I finally realized it had nothing to do with the son. It had to do with the father. Sure, the son's in the story and he's a part of the situation. He's affected by it. Things happen, yes. But the story, the focus of the story is the heart of that father. And we better not miss that because that's where all of us are. We do not want to be the son. The son got to live in a pig pen and eat slop. We don't want to be the son. We want to all be the father. (laughs) Who gets to go on with his life. Do you know he got to go on with his life even though his business was now hurting because he had given money away. He had to run his same business with a third less of the money. He had to do all the same things that he always did but this time he didn't have all the resources. The Bible doesn't say he was bitter. doesn't say he was angry. doesn't say he slammed any doors. doesn't say he said, don't come talk to me. In fact, it says that every day he went out there and said, I wonder if he's coming home today. Every day. Because he kept his heart right. He knew that in his heart was the answer to everything. How he res- responded to what was happening to him. And amazingly, when he came home, his father treated him like nothing ever happened. I know that's a hard thing to do, but that's the way we should respond. Like nothing ever happened. The only reason the father was able to do that is because he kept protecting his heart. His heart could have become bitter. His heart could have become hard. But instead he kept it 
to forgive, able to overlook, able to look beyond. Luke 6.45 says, The good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. If your heart is evil, everything is toxic. If your heart is good, everything is blessed. The only way to keep the heart pure and holy and clean is to keep forgiving. See the words down there? Do this in remembrance of me. What is it we remember? We remember He forgave us. And He says, if if you can remember that that's what I do, then that's what I want you to do. Forgive! Forgive! When you take communion, it's because of forgiveness that you get to take it. Forgiveness is the center point of communion. Do you know what a practical definition of of, uh, forgiveness is? It's having the courage to make things right. That's what forgiveness is. Having the courage to make things right. Jesus Christ bankrupt all of heaven to forgive you. And if He could do that, then there should be nothing hard for you. To overlook somebody's shortness, somebody's irresponsibility, even though I believe we need to accept responsibility, I know we're not perfect. And so sometimes we're going to have to overlook your responsibility. You know, if I told Debbie, the only way I'm going to love you is if you be responsible the rest of your life, that wouldn't work. And she's not perfect. She's going to be responsible. Our goal should be, and our desire should be, to be as responsible as we can, to do as much as we can, to do the right things. But when we don't, then we have to have the courage to forgive and restore whatever is broken. It's only in those things that we'll be able to have the kind of life that brings peace out of this chaos. That brings some kind of order out of all the disorder that's going on around us. Sam asked us to take the cards and do a random act of kindness. It's a shame that we would have to have a card or have to be encouraged. That should be our natural way of life. But at least this will be a reminder if you forget. When you look at the card, you can say, Hmm, I need to remember to do something. Jonathan, what's a Boy Scout supposed to do every day? That's right. Even the Boy Scouts know it, huh? (laughs) So the next time you 
you do something kind and good for somebody, remember that it all came from Jesus, who was the first Boy Scout. He lived all that. All the things we pattern our lives after that are good came from Jesus. Came from God. Bow your head with me. Say, Lord, help me to accept my responsibilities. Lord, help us to realize that we're going to stand before you someday. Help us, Lord, to forgive and fix the problems in our relationships. Lord, our lives mean nothing without you. And they mean nothing without each other. Help us, Lord, to move to the place where we begin to live this not just once in a while, but that it is our way of life. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.